Have you ever wondered what Jesus would say if he could speak to you today? Join us on our podcast, A Weekly Message from Jesus, as I use my gift of spirit communication to bring you a channeled message from Jesus. The link is a weekly message from Jesus.podbeam.com. His messages will bring you much happiness and guidance in your life. He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. Lady Reverend Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dan Heward-Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Lady Reverend Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the Word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Lady Reverend Adelaide Heward-Mills. To have our Naomi, our mother here, I want us to welcome once again Lady Reverend Adelaide Howard Mills. Hallelujah. Shall we share a word of prayer? Father, thank you that in accordance with your word in Hebrews 10.25, we are here this morning. You say we should not neglect the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some, that we should exhort one another daily as we see the time approaching. I pray that this morning shall be a hallowed time in your presence. I pray, O God, that you will anoint these lips of clay and you will use me for your purpose and for your glory. I pray that the word of God will have free course and be glorified in every life represented here. Thank you for your unction and your enabling grace. In Jesus' name, amen. I just want to share with you from Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 3. Are we there? Titus 2, verse 3. King James says, The aged woman likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. Amen. I believe that this morning our theme has been throughout the conference, the upward call. But I also know that 
God starts from your Jerusalem before he calls you to Judea and to Samaria and to the other parts of the world. And it is true that we are pressing on towards the high call of God and that we have to allow God to use us to extend his kingdom and to serve. But the home front is also important. And our personal lives and our personal work with God is important. I remember listening to Joyce Meyer and she was saying she just wanted to go and preach. But at home, she was not a nice person to live with. She always had issues. She always had conflicts and quarreling. And uh, she did as she pleased, but she just wanted God to use her. And God said, you are not going anywhere to cast out any demons when you have not dealt with the demons in your backyard. And so this morning, I just want to talk about the Titus 2 woman. The Titus 2 woman. And if indeed we are going to heed to the upward call, we also have to work on our Jerusalem. In the book of Timothy, Paul said, let them first learn to show piety at home. First of all, at home, before they move out anywhere else. Amen. Now, Paul is writing to Pastor Timothy, a young man, and he's telling the young man that treat the older men this way, the younger men this way. But when it came to the women, he said, although you are a pastor, the older women should be made to teach the younger women. But he didn't just say any older woman. He had some qualifications for what type of older woman would qualify to impart something to a younger woman. And one of the things, or three actually, was that the older woman should be in behavior as becometh holiness as becometh holiness, and that they shouldn't be false accusers. False accusers. So first of all, the, the older woman was to be somebody who walks in holiness. Amen. Because the Bible says without holiness, no man will see God. And the Bible also says that when Jesus comes, a lot of people will say, Lord, Lord. I did this in your name. I cast out devils. I prophesied. I did things that look attractive. But Jesus said, I will say to you, I don't know you. Depart from me. So we can even go about God's work and not be known by God. Just like you can work for a large organization or a large corporation and not be known by the founder. You can work for AT&T. Amen. But it's a huge organization. So the person who owns it or whoever is in charge may not know you, but you are working for it, and All right. So you can work for God, but get to a place where God will say, you never, I never, you never nurtured any relationship with me. You're not somebody I know. But you were working with my name, and my name is powerful, so it was working. But in terms of knowing you, I'm not sure about that. And it says that the older women should be such that they are not false accusers. 
And I was wondering, I mean, why? And I thought maybe as you grow older, you see so much that you can easily become cynical. And you can easily not trust a lot of things. And therefore, when you see something, immediately you say, this thing, I've seen it before. And before you know, you have jumped to a conclusion. But maybe that's not what you have seen. Because by experience, you have seen so many things before. It is said that when you have seen a snake before, you run away from a worm. You see, so you can easily now find fault because you are an older woman, you've been in the church for a long time, you've seen a lot of the gymnastics and the way people behave and you can easily not have much faith in the next generation. Amen. And therefore, we can easily falsely accuse them. And so Paul is, t- Paul is writing to Titus, sorry, and saying, no, we should not be false accusers. Not given to much wine. I didn't know that women could get drunk. But once I went to Zambia, and the women there drink more than the men. And they put it in tea kettles, teapots, so that you don't know. And they drink from teacups. And my point is, if you are doing all this camouflage, then surely you know that it is not right, you know. But the point also, you may think that it's afternoon tea and that they are really having high tea among themselves, but it is not so. And then I think that this encapsulates everything when it says teachers of good things. Because there can be people in the church who teach bad, th- bad things, but they are in the church. Bad! And nowadays, what I've discovered to my amazement, sometimes people come into the church and they don't know a lot of things. And they meet an agent of the enemy. And everything changes. There was a young man who came to the church in Ghana, one of our branches, and the lady who brought him taught him a lot of bad things. When he came, he didn't even know what a woman was. But then this lady who brought him to church also tutored him and taught him a lot of things. And so at a point, as the young man continued to be in the church, he had slept with more than half the choir because he just lost it. And he thought that everybody in church is like that. So when Paul says to the older women in the church that they should be teachers of good things, And sometimes we do it just by comments. You know, somebody comes to say, oh, my husband did this, this, this. Hey, as for a man, he's not a pillow you should rest on. You must not do this and that. You have counseled the person, whether you like it or not. So Paul says that it's not just any older woman, but an older woman who observes these things and teaches good things. Amen. And then, I am also surprised at the way he lists what they should be taught. You know, so it means that we may be holy, we may be speaking in tongues, we may be casting out devils, but there are other things that we leave out. So then he lists that they should be able to teach the younger woman to be sober. Hey. I didn't know that soberness could be taught. 
I thought that's how you are, that's how you are. But Paul says that they should teach the younger women to be sober. And when you look at 1 Timothy 2 verse 9, in like manner also, that women adorn themselves in modest apparel, with shamefacedness and sobriety, not with broidered hair or gold or pearls or costly array, but which becometh women professing godliness with good works. Amen. So Paul is saying that even our dressing should be sober. And he says that the older women should teach the younger women. But the reason why it's not happening in the churches, the younger women are very rebellious sometimes. Sometimes you, you see somebody, her dress all here. She's showing all the goods of this world. And then you call the person and say, oh, sister, I think your dress, it has happened to me before. I said, I mean, that's what I have and that's what I brought. You know, the person is even going to beat you up. So you, the older woman, you are trying. But the younger woman who should receive from you is rebelling. But not everybody is rebellious. And I also, also comfort myself with the fact that even Jesus, the sower, when he sowed, not all the seed fell on good soil. In fact, it was only 25% that fell on good soil. The rest, stony soil, the pathway of men, choked by thorns, so many things. Only a quarter fell, fell on good soil. But we must not stop teaching good things. So you teach and then leave the rest to God. Because some will take it and run with it. To be sober. To be sober also means to be sober in our emotions. And women are very emotional beings. God made us that way, I believe. But whatever is your strength can also become your weakness. So we are so emotional that sometimes we don't think right. We allow our emotions to rule us. And we allow our emotions to lead us. And sometimes our emotions are wrong. Once a young lawyer who used to be in my church called me that she wanted to leave her husband because he worries her too much in terms of every time there's something to complain about. And the husband was begging her, oh, please, please, don't, I wouldn't do that. And she said, you keep saying you won't do that again. And the guy said, no, this time I mean it. So she filed for the divorce, and she sent the papers, and the guy refused to sign. And she said, no, 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 I'm still going ahead. So she called me, and I said, oh, if a man is begging you, he says he won't sign the papers, you give him just one chance, see what God will. She said, oh, no, no, and, and remember, I'm a lawyer. I don't need anybody to pay attorney fees to. I will do it myself, this and that. So in the end, the husband was begging, but she didn't listen because emotionally she was hurt, and rightfully so. And she was so grieved. So she went ahead because in 14 days, when nobody protests, it just goes through for lack of appearance of the other side. So he went through. Around the 16th day, she calls me crying. I want my husband back. And if she had not made an emotional decision, so later on, about three years later, her husband came back to the church because they had left. Three years later, he came back to the church and said, oh, I'm so sorry for the things. You know, God has revealed to me how I am and I really want to now walk with God and 
so many things, and by God's grace, to a large extent, he has cleaned up his act, and he has married somebody else. He came back to the church with a, a, a second wife. He has married that second wife. And when I meet the second wife, oh, Lady Reverend, he's so amazing. Thank God. But he's amazing because somebody suffered so that you would gain. Another guy like that in our church in the UK, I know the wife personally. And she said, look, he is too something. So she left the marriage. And then she was in the church when her husband came, became a shepherd, became born again, became a shepherd, married in the same church. I mean, I know the lady very well. And she said, ah, all this time I was interceded. She was always fasting and praying for him. Just when the harvest was about to come, she thought that it's too much. And she left. And now you should see the guy shepherding the sheep and saying, look, you have to straighten up with God. God loves you. God will make a way. So the wife left because she could not be in there. As she saw her cleaned up husband, loving God, lifting up his hands, you deserve the glory. She cannot receive it. And the wife tells the pastor, oh, pastor, I couldn't have wished for a better husband. (laughs) To be sober. I mean, not every glove fits every hand, but many times we make decisions based on emotions. And the Bible doesn't say as many as are led by the emotions. As many as are led by the Spirit of God. So when we are angry, when we are upset, sometimes and often you shouldn't make a very important decision. And also you shouldn't even speak because you will say things you shouldn't say. I regret marrying you. You are a useless man. When you tell a man he's a useless man, he doesn't forget even after you are apologizing. You know, that's what married people don't know. It's a seed you have sown. And the person thinks that's what you think. And one of the greatest needs of a man is to be respected. So the one you say useless, you use that word. It is finished. And sometimes, you know, people also go to work and they say, oh, my co-worker is so nice to me. My husband is not nice to me like that. Because women like to be cared for. In my opinion, women are very easy to love, in my opinion. But when I go for couples meetings, the men say that they're always shifting the goalposts every day. They say this makes them happy later. They say, ah. I think if you listened, you will see that it's very easy to love a woman. And usually, it's not with money. You know? Just show that you understand. Show that you care. My husband says that when she's talking to you, you are not even listening. Say, okay, and ask questions as if you are really into the flow. <laughs> and you win her. You know? So, I think that women are not um, difficult to, to love. But when God says, dwell with them according to knowledge, the men don't go to the school. They don't enroll. They don't enroll in the school to learn about us. You know, so then it leads to complications. So in my view, a lot of things are because we don't do what God has said. And we are doing what we want. But some time ago, a pastor's wife, not from my church, but another church, called me. and said, Lady Reverend, she's my friend. She said, Lady Reverend, I cannot share this with anybody, but I work in this big organization and I shared the office with a guy. My husband is a pastor. He doesn't have time. 
Every day the sheep. Every day the sheep. I'm also sheep, but I'm seen as a sheep who is okay. You know, but every time I walk into the office, this man is very caring, very loving, looking after me, says, have you eaten lunch? Shall I get you something? I'm stepping out. I don't remember the last time I was asked that. And she said, nothing has happened, but my emotions are turning around. And I said, does your husband know? Hey, how can I tell him that? No, he doesn't know. But I keep telling him, I need to talk to you. I need you to have time for me. I need us to be programmed, you know. And she said, as soon as I walk in, this guy says, oh, hi, how was your weekend? And she'll say, oh, the children stressed me out. And, oh, baby, you need a rest. (laughs) So you need to be sober-minded not to be carried away with such things. Because when you marry the person, the person will not do these things he is doing in the office. Most likely not. And also, when you are not married to a person, many departments of your life don't come up. For instance, your finances, it has nothing to do with him. And you also have nothing to do with his finances. So, even the areas for contention are greatly reduced. You cannot quarrel with him in the bathroom that he brings his wet towel and he always puts it on the bed. Because he lives somewhere, you also live somewhere, at least hopefully. (laughs) And so many areas that come up in marriage don't come up in a relationship like that. So if you're going to be led by your emotions, you won't end up in a good place. Amen. Amen. And also we are led by emotions, even in the church. Today you are happy, so you will come to church. Tomorrow you are not happy, so you won't come. Everything, our emotions just go haywire, and our emotions lead us. And the Bible is saying, teach the younger women that it's not about emotions, but it's about being sober. Being sober makes you clear-minded. Being sober, you know, even in choosing a partner, the young people, it's just their emotions I say, is he born again? Lady Reverend, he's a black American. Does that replace the being born again? I don't get it. I say, is he born again? Oh, Lady Reverend, he's a black American. How? And sometimes you can see the young people, they are going on a road. You can see that they are losers on that road, but they are in love. And they'll ask you, have you been in love before? I say more than you, more than you, what you are calling love, more than you, but they can't see it, you know, and they think that they have found love. So we need to teach them to be sober, even when they are choosing, but we are not doing that work in the church. So that work is not being done. And then we stand behind us, older women and say, oh, this generation, they don't know God. They don't fear God. They don't, but have we taught them? To fear God. Or we just chat with them about the news, the weather, what is happening, fashion, this, but not spiritual things. And I'm sure that when you were taught about Naomi and the fact that we need Naomi's, it is also that Naomi taught Ruth what to look out for in a man. And how to make herself attractive to a man. Go to the threshing floor. 
and go and lie at his feet, not by his trousers. <laughs> and we don't even teach our children. Because what it is, is that children also, at a certain age, don't share certain things with you. My daughter told me at a certain age, not this one, the older one. She came from high school and she was telling me, my friends say, when you have a problem, never tell your mother. I said, really? So tell who? So tell your friends and this guy. I said, you're foolish friends. Mommy, why are you insulting them? Do you know them? <laughs> I said, it's foolish counsel. But we have created a vacuum in the church. And we are not consciously raising the younger generation. We are not. So when they meet a good man, they don't know. They say, Reverend, he doesn't have raps. Raps means the ability to talk and to woo. And my husband says the reason why he doesn't have the ability to talk and to woo is that he's not used to being an unbeliever. He's a pure Christian brother. But you want the one who says, hi, baby. How are you, baby? Oh, I'm getting chill bumps, Lady Reverend. I'm in love. Teach the younger women to be sober. Teach them that marriage takes more than love. Love is not just an emotion. Love is a decision of your will. And that's why the Bible says, husbands, love your wives. Because love is a decision. And the Bible also defines what love is. But because we are going only by emotions, we are ending up in the wrong places. And we as older women are sometimes cynical. Say, hmm, let them find out by experience. Because sometimes the younger women are also very rude and very judgmental, you know. When I see some of them, they're on their high heels. Hey, Reverend, why is it that when people marry, before they marry, they are size six. But when they finish marrying, they allow themselves to be size 10 and size 12. I don't understand it. Can't they just work out and... So I said, oh, yeah. It, it, it's, a good, uh, ad, it's good advice, but um, it's not as easy as you are saying. Oh, really? One lady said to me, why can't ladies curl their hair every night? I said, because they are looking after children. They are looking after husband. They are looking after... She said, oh, but I mean your hair. And then I have the opportunity or privilege of living with them throughout. And so she got married. Hey, I saw her in the market. I didn't recognize her. A corporate lady. She's now holding some inconsequential career, but she's going. Oh, her gait and everything. I said, oh, I have to call her. So I call her. Hello, hello. Is that you? Hmm. It's me. I said, oh, what happened to your hair? What about the nightly girls? Hmm, Lady Reverend, don't put the baby. She doesn't sleep. Oh, she wakes up. She cries. She I said, oh, and then also, your feet. How have you come down like this? I said, I didn't even see what I was wearing. I just felt that I would just come to the fish market. And then... But you don't have to wait for them to experience it. But out of obedience to God's word, we can teach them to be sober, to recognize who a good man is. A good man is not by his height. A good man is not necessarily by his wallet. My husband always says, Adam and Eve, the only, good, the only thing they had was a job, and that was enough. If the two of them are working, that is enough. But you say you are going to marry according to the wallet. I know somebody who did that. Now the husband's company went bust. They are up to zero. And 
the thing is not working. So teach the younger women to be sober. Amen. And we ourselves must walk in soberness. Soberness means basically self-control and being cool and calm and calculated. Amen. To love their husbands. That one. To love their husbands is something that has to be taught. Because if you've been married for some time, you will see that it's not every time your husband is lovable. And it's not every time you yourself are lovable. And so when he says, teach the younger women to love their husbands, there's something called the language of love. What a man understands by love is not what a woman understands by love. Amen. A man understands love to be in the bedroom. Amen. A woman understands love to be romance, care, words, love, flowers. If you are that type, I'm not. Amen. And in Zambia, the older women teach the younger women how to be in the bedroom. Before you marry, your auntie and your mother will come. And say, you have to do this. You have to do this. You have to do this. Practice it and let's see. Hey. So I was telling one of our pastors who was married to a Zambia. I said, a lot of men will envy you. Because of, he said, lady pastor, it can also be very demonic. I said, in what way? He said, because when they come to teach you, sometimes they say they have to do practically to you. For you to, I didn't know that aspect. You know, but it's not everybody. So the Zambian wives, in fact, in our church, in the Zambian church, those married to Zambians, they don't have bedroom problems. <laughs> but their problems are elsewhere. I'll come there. So once we went for a conference and we're with our pastors and the male pastors were saying that, hey, they were talking to the Zambian pastors, you are blessed. Which means that they were not blessed as much as the, the Zambian pastors were. So teach the younger women. Otherwise, they will learn it from pornography. They will learn it from the internet. But we can teach them. Because many people don't know. And many people think it's boyfriend, girlfriend. What happened in boyfriend, girlfriend? But marriage is for the long haul. Amen. So younger women, we, we now have a missionary wife school instituted by my husband. It should be about a year old in June. And at that missionary wife school, we also have a sex class at the school. And it is ably taught by my assistant, Lady Pastor Bridget Marion. <laughs> and it's bringing great results. When the women arrive home, the men start to send texts. What happened? Something has really happened. Something has changed. Why? The older women are rising up to teach the younger women. When an older woman teaches you, you are likely to receive it better than when your husband is teaching you because you think that he's selfish and he just wants his side of the story. But when an older woman teaches you, before you even marry, 
you have a good mind. But if you don't know, you say, no, 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 he has not treated me well, Lady Reverend. So I will also tit for tat. When he gives me tit, I give tat. That's why we are just here. You know? But a man's language of love is different. My husband tells me that when a young man is getting married, he has a lot of hopes and desires, and he's just thinking of how he will take this girl away to the bedroom. I said, really? My wedding day never occurred to me. I was looking at the flowers, the serving, the, the, the maids of honor. And even when I was thinking about the evening, I was just thinking about being hugged and being loved, but not the greater one. So we need to be deprogrammed from the world. And then a lot of us also were in the world, so we associate sex with sin. And so we don't know sex in the context of Christian marriage. And therefore, an older godly woman should shape our minds in the right way. Because Christian men are allowed only one bed. Amen? And so, wives should be taught, and younger women should be taught, so that they don't make the mistakes the older women made. In Jesus' name, amen. To love their husbands is also to walk in divine love, because he will not always deserve your love. But the divine kind of love is love in spite of how the person is. And it's unto God. If our love and our submission is unto man, you, you, you will end somewhere. But if it's unto God, you will keep on. Amen. Some of you need to go back home from this conference and go and love your husbands. When you arrive, you put your hands around. You say, hey, since when? What do you want? Do you want something? <laughs> and usually... When you put somebody's needs before yours, and after that you ask for anything, it shall be given unto you. All other things shall be added, ladies, to you. Amen. To love their children, because sometimes it's not every time children are lovable. And some people have very difficult times raising children and going through difficulties with their children. How do you love children without giving up certain principles? How do you love children without spoiling them and without enabling them in certain things they shouldn't do? You need to be taught. And usually the older woman has already gone through that and can teach you a lot. My mother is somebody I call all the time and somebody I lean on for things like that. For instance, when I was coming, I told her, oh, my husband was going for crusades, but now the crusades have been called off because of what is happening in South Africa. So he's only going to Swaziland. So he doesn't look very happy that I have to leave. So every time he comes, are you really going? Do you really have to go at this time? Oh, but I'm going to Swaziland in May. Can you not wait when I'm going in May, then you also go? Are you sure it's not negotiable? He kept on. So the, I, the last day before I left, I told my mother, I mean, I keep telling him, giving him the dates, and he keeps asking me, when will you come? Uh, uh, do you have to go and all this? It makes me feel, you know. And she said, oh, but it's a good sign. Many men want their wives to travel and go away so that they can do whatever they want to do. So when your husband wants you always to be there, 
it's a good sign. And also, go and ask him that, no, she said, first of all, tell him that you regret that you have to go. Let him feel that you also are not happy that you have to go, but you have to go. And she said to me, have you made that statement to him? I said, no. She said, go, pamper him and tell him, you know, I would really like to also stay with you. But unfortunately, because the dates were fixed and all that, we have to go. What would you like me to cook to leave for you so that what would be special, you know? And she said, so you cook that special meal yourself. Don't ask the person who helps you to cook. I trained that person, but she said, don't ask the person to do that. And then when you are talking to him, run your hands through his hair. Let him know that you care. The older woman was teaching the younger woman. Amen. She didn't wait for me to find out by experiment. But God's word is true. Amen. To be discreet. That is of sound mind, prudent, moderate, and self-controlled. To be discreet. Some of us are not discreet in our marriages. I believe women can be too secretive. But at the same time, it's not everybody you should share all your problems in the world with. The Bible says a tailbearer separateth very friends. So the tailbearer can be a third person, but sometimes the tailbearer is us. And it's not everybody you should share your problems with. Because it's not everybody who will even give you good counsel. And also the more you multiply, the more you speak about it to so many people, the more the problem becomes compounded. So we should learn how to be discreet. Yes, you are going through something, but you are discreet about it. You have a a godly person you have shared with, and then you are seeing how far you would go, but you are not talking to the whole world. And uh, what? Denigrating the, the, the husband or whoever to the whole world, defaming the person, slandering the person. To the whole world. And when you finish, you go and marry the same person. It's going to be very difficult. And so we need to be discreet. And also discreet with people's secrets. If people are going to trust you in the church, they shouldn't see it in the Washington Post. The next morning, hey, have you heard? Church problems are not so that we will hear. They are so that we will bring solutions, but not so that we will hear. You know? And then... We become the tailbearers in the church. And in the end, there's no confidence. It's not supposed to be that. Women have a gift of speaking. And therefore, they speak too much sometimes. So we must learn to be discreet. Hallelujah. Where were we? To be discreet, yes. To be temperate is almost the same as to be sober. Temperate means self-controlled. Okay? And then to be chaste means to be pure. And number six, to be homemakers. Mm. King James says, keep us at home. Now what has happened is, Eve had her case that in sorrow she shall give birth. And that her desire will be unto her husband and he will rule over her. And her conception will be painful and all that. But she has also gone to add Adam's case to hers that in the sweat of your face shall you eat bread. So now Eve's are also found in the working place like you and I. And therefore it has been very, it has become more difficult and demanding to have balance in the home. 
But the Bible says in Proverbs 11:1 1, that a false balance is an abomination to God. Amen. So we need to learn how to balance things in our home. You cannot leave a sink full of dirty dishes and tell me that you've gone downtown to cast out demons. Things must be okay on the home front. Amen. And that comes by very good planning. Very good planning. Very good delegation of some of the things which can be delegated because the bedroom work cannot be delegated. Amen. I mean, seeking help when you can. When you can have it. Seeking help when you can have it. And then also, cutting out unusual, unnecessary banter and unnecessary time in front of the television. Sometimes we, we spend undue time in front of the television or on the phone with some friend who is not saying anything. You know? And then other areas of the home suffer. So in spite of women's lib, we are supposed to be keepers at home. And I realize that even though a man often thinks he's in charge, without our input in the home, things really go haywire. You know? Sometimes they don't remember that there's no salt. But we remember to add it to the grocery list. And so many little, little things. They don't even see that their shirt needs to be in the laundry. Or that it's too old. You know? Recently, I was telling my husband, I said that when you are preaching, that you will be facing the ladies that they wear old 90s. They wear 90s that are not see-through. They don't dress properly at home. But you too, I don't see this your combination that you have been wearing in the house. Look at the top. Is this the top for the pajamas? Two different things, and you are wearing them. <laughs> he said, I'm very surprised at what you are saying. <laughs> I'm very, very, I said, so, I also require you, but I don't. I don't, but I said to him, I require you to dress properly. When you are to dress properly. Don't be wearing these shorts and things wrong. Dress properly. Be attractive, brother. (laughs) Keep us at home. And sometimes and often when you are in the ministry, you are also called upon to be hospitable at home. Hospitable. And many women don't like hospitality, not because they don't like people, but because they are afraid that they will fail. They are afraid of the pressure, and therefore they say, don't come at all, so that I don't even have that problem. So they love people all right, but they don't know how to keep their home before you are also coming to add yourself. So it's like, just don't come. But when our ministry started, a lot of the times we couldn't afford hotel rooms. And so they would come to my home, whether they were from Switzerland, South Africa, they lived in my home. And I had to cater for them. And by the grace of God, I think that I was already brought up, if you like, in a ministry home. Because my parents were always hosting Methodist ministers in their home, whether international, whether whatever. And then they will share the work and they will go with the people to synod. So you are in the house. You have to do breakfast. You have to do this. But in all of it, God was training me to be a keeper at home. And I didn't even know. So then as all these people pass through, now the church also, the people can be put in hotels, but during the conferences, they have to eat, somebody has to set up, somebody has to do this. So 
It also, what the keeping at home has translated into the church because the church also becomes a home. And my husband tells me that when we have the conferences and the board members and co arrive in their countries, when they write to him, the first line they say, thank you for the amazing food, the amazing dishes, and the wonderful protocol and hospitality. They don't say thank you for the wild verses. That one comes in the second paragraph. So he said to me, that shows that when people don't feel at home, they cannot also receive ministry. So we as women also have a part to play. Amen. So in your home, these days there are even more recipes on the internet. Every day, pap. Huh? Do you know Bohe Bili Nama? I went to South Africa. They have a dish called Bohe Bili Nama. The Nama is the meat and the Bohe is something else. You know, and the pap is my everyday pap and this. We need some variety. So don't only be creative in the bedroom, be creative in the kitchen. Amen. And it's nice to be creative. Just go and type in, you know, chicken curry. Every day the chicken is one way. You yourself, you are tired of eating it. So in order to be a keeper at home, Bring some variety into the home. Amen. Amen. Restaurant a la Sarah. <laughs> Hallelujah. For a morsel of meat, Esau sold his birthright. So food can be very powerful. A keeper at home also has to keep the children. It has to keep the house. Make the home such that the man would always like to come back. Don't make it a contentious place. Don't make it a war zone. Don't make it a boxing ring. Yes, I know we have points. And I know we are right. But what it is, is we solve our problems by speaking. And we think that the more we speak, the more we will be understood. But the more we speak, the more we drive the men to the corner of the house without intending to. And when we speak to them, because a woman's main tool of communication is speaking. So when we speak to them, and then they don't understand, we come back with diagrams to uh, explain further what we mean. And when they don't get it, we come back with graphs to go further to another point. But the Bible says, the continuous nagging of a wife, it's like rain on the roof. A man would not like to come to that. So there are certain lessons we must learn from Delilah. How did she always keep something coming back? How did she always keep something coming back so that when he lies on those laps, he cannot remember anything? What about righteous laps? Righteous laps can do great things. And righteous laps can create a home environment where the man will always want to come back. Don't solve your problems always by talking a lot. Make your point. Let it be understood. And then after that, withdraw and just pray. Because no matter how you talk, they have already decided what they will do. And they have decided that they won't change. Amen, give more. <laughs> they have decided that they will not change. So it's not you who is coming to talk. But it's the Holy Spirit which will bring change. So we don't intend to break our homes. But in the end, that is what happens. It said that it's better to dwell in the corner of the house than with a contentious woman in a large place. 
And contention stems from discontentment. But let's pray and ask God to show us the right way. To be good. To be obedient to their husbands. Amen. Now this obedience to the husband has to also do with submission. And has to also do with working with wisdom. Because Abigail was married to a Nabal. How a woman like Abigail, a woman of good understanding, can end up with a Nabal shows me that maybe she didn't have an older woman in her life to teach her what love really was. Or maybe she married Nabal after that. Then she came to know the Lord. But when David and his men came and said, oh, give us something to eat. We are in the wilderness. We've been security guards for your people. And Nabal was even going to hold a feast. But he spoke anyhow to them. And Abigail was a woman who was approachable. So a servant could talk to her. Some of us, we are too high-minded. So unless you are a certain class, you can't relate to us. But Abigail's servants could tell her what was going on in the home. And when that happened, she knew that this was not the time to go and confront neighbor. And this was not the time to go and discuss. But I tell you, if it were me, I would storm to the room and say, but what is this? Don't you know what David has done for you? Can't you see? what?" But Abigail had a higher wisdom. She saw that this is not the time to call a UN meeting or security council to meet whether they should invade Iraq. This is not the time. But this is the time to go with haste, saddle her donkey, and take figs and raisins and wine and bread to the armies of David. And that's exactly what she did. So I have learned that sometimes you don't have to go for negotiation. You have to do what you know you have to do. Then after, afterwards, before you come and talk about it, I'm sorry some men are here. Amen, ladies. <laughs> so that even the idea of disobedience and not being submissive does not even come up. Because if Abigail had gone to talk about it, I said, don't go. I said, don't go out of this house. I'm, I'm commanding you, don't go. But you know also what is right. And it's also in his interest. But the person whose interest you are protecting is rather fighting you. And you can't be discussing to bring the person on board. You can't afford to do that. So sometimes you have to use your godly wisdom to move ahead. So Abigail just saddled her horse and then her donkey and she just went. And when she saw David, I know that she had a good heart because she said, upon me, let the iniquity be. Let the sin of neighbor, all the things, take it that it's me. I'm stepping in his place. I'm taking all that needs to come to him in his stead. I'm taking it on myself. And she said, please, don't do that. Please. And she also said, I'm married to a fool. So you have to be sure about the facts. (laughs) Don't deny the truth. Lie not against the truth. So admit the fact that you are married to a fool. But beyond that, you still feel that he needs help. You know? And she brought deliverance to her whole household. The whole household. Nabal died maybe from natural causes. But at least he lived for some days. Because David was advancing his army to come and finish them. And the rest of the household was preserved. And as soon as... Dick's Bible says that all these things happened within 10 days. After that, David came for Abigail to marry her. Hey. 
And David said to Abigail, blessed be this thy advice. Blessed be this thy advice. Because when she spoke, she spoke with wisdom. The Bible says about the virtuous woman in her mouth. She opens her mouth with wisdom. And in her mouth is the law of kindness. Kindness. So when a woman is also good, you see, the Bible says, teach the younger woman to be good. When you are good, you are also attractive. Because you are good. And the Bible says that every opportunity we have to do good, let's do it. So anything that is an opportunity to do good, may the women do it. And I believe that as we do all these things, then the anointing of God can flow in our lives and we can be effective women. But the reason why we struggle with submission sometimes is because we feel that the other party is not doing his part. So Lady Reverend, how can he now come to me and expect me to, to submit to him? When you read Colossians 3.18, the Bible says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own, your own, your own, your own husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. If God had not added as it is fit in the Lord, a lot of us would find it difficult. But the Bible is saying as it is fit in the Lord, we should submit. Amen. And it says that, we should submit as unto the Lord. Another verse says, submit unto your husband as unto the Lord. So as you are doing the submission, don't look at the human being. Look at the Lord who has asked you to submit. And always ask for wisdom. Because it's not always easy to submit to things you don't agree. You don't agree to. Amen. But the Bible says the heart of the king is in God's hands. And God turns it. With us, wherever he will. I have learned practically not to respond back at the same time when my husband is speaking. Because I am trained to object on my feet. If you are in a court and a submission is being made, you have to quickly get up and say, Objection, my Lord, based on this, this, this. But you don't bring it to the house. It's not a courtroom. So you may unconsciously, when the person is speaking, you are thinking of all the loopholes in what he's saying. Instead of uh, um, where you should get to, you know. So I found myself, sometimes I would say, no, but if you use that word, it has three meanings. It could mean this, it could mean that, it could mean... So what exactly are you saying? I don't know what exactly I'm, I'm saying that this. <laughs> and it's not with any intention. But when you do drafting, you choose words because... It means something in the law. So you don't choose words with four meanings. You choose words that, or you qualify it, or you... So I would innocently say, no, but if you say that, it has four meanings. So I thought you meant... That, but I've learned that you don't speak at the same time the person is speaking. So as I've grown older, I just listen. So then if you do this... So my aim is, let me get what he's saying, or what he's worried about, and put it right so then I'm just listening. Oh, okay. And even if I have a contrary opinion, I've learned not to say then, then. I just say, oh, okay. So you are saying that I should do this. Okay. And then I will bring up my point later. Obey before complain. Amen. So before the younger woman gets there, teach her. Teach her. Because men don't like answering back. 
As soon as you answer back or say something, they feel that you are um, challenging them. But in your heart, it's not a challenge. It's just a discussion. But it doesn't work that way. You may win the war, but you lose the battle. So may the Lord help us to be women who nurture other women. If Ruth had not had a Naomi, I don't think she would have met Boaz. If Ruth had not met a Naomi, she would not have had a restoration. And again, in our missionary wife school, we now teach how to keep the home. We teach various recipes you can have, how to make the home the way it should be. In fact, ministry seems to encompass a lot of things. And um, now the husbands come back and say, my home has changed. We teach how to celebrate your husband's birthday. But some of us will say, I should celebrate it. He never remembers. He never remembers any anniversary or whatever. My husband often remembers. But some years ago, he didn't remember. And I was just looking at him in the house. How he was feeling free. I said, hey, people too can be people anyway. As we were there like that, I decided that I would go out and buy a birthday card. And I wrote in the birthday card, happy birthday to me. And I gave it to him. <laughs> and then, when he opened it, you are very Samuel. <laughs> you have bought a birthday card for me. I said, yes, from you to me. Happy birthday to me. <laughs> Since then, he has not forgotten again. <laughs> so there are many lovely ways of communicating your needs without it being World War II. And there are many sweet ways of saying what you want to say. Only God has to grant you wisdom. And I believe that as the older women teach the younger women, the church of God will change. The kingdom of God will march forward. Because when people have stable homes, usually they can even serve God better. And many people are not some way because they want to be some way, but because they had never they never had anybody to nurture them. They never had anybody to teach them. One of our lady pastors who is in this meeting, I went to her home here in America, and I asked her for a cup of tea. There she came with a gallon of milk to pour into my cup. I was so shocked. I said, why? Where's your milk jug? Why are you pouring from a gallon? Sir, eh. I've not thought about it because that's what I have. I said, oh, no, I'm not going to allow it. Ah, get a tea set, get a sugar bowl, a milk jug, a tea pot. What is this? I think I even asked her for a tea cup. I said, I don't have, I have only mugs. Ah. Anyway, the next year I came again. I didn't even have to ask. Then she came with the most beautiful tea set. Mommy. I said, oh. But today will I drink tea? <laughs> so, most of the time, it is that we don't even know. And we have picked up some things along the way. And if only somebody will be a Naomi to us and say, go about it this way. It will bring all the change that we need. So, yes, we are pressing on towards the upward call. But may we do the good things in our homes. So that when we are going, we will leave home with a blessing to cast out demons, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. God bless you.
It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit the Vision Bookshop at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Reverend Mrs. Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.